Well, good morning. We had a true winter season this week, which was cool. Grateful that you're here today. You know, this is the worst Sunday of the year for church. Basically, the time change for pastors is the—that's like Satan coming into real life, like getting up early and missing out. It's really tough for many of you and, and uh, even church as well. So we're grateful that you're here. Thousands of years ago, there was this prophet. He was a great prophet, and he was training up a young uh, assistant. So there was the prophet and his assistant, and they were traveling back in the day, and they were the likes of Jeremiah and Isaiah and some of the big prophets. He was the prophet uh, of the land. And as they were traveling one night, it was getting dark, and they said, look, there's a city up ahead. Let's go and find shelter in the city. So they walk into the city, they go through the city gates, and they come up to this very humble shack. Now the shack had a light on, so they figured someone was home. So as they walk into the shack and they knock on the door, walk up to the shack and knock on the door, a family opens up, a a, a mom and a dad and their child. And they said, great prophet, thank you so much for joining us and, and coming to our humble house. We're so grateful. You do not know what a privilege it is. And they said, please come in. Let us get you some food. Let's clean your feet. Let's make you feel like you're at home. This is your house. So the prophet and his young assistant walk into the place. Now, as they sat down to eat, after they'd been taken care of, they had fresh milk. They had cheese and they had some cream to eat and they had a little bit of bread. They were very poor, but they basically put everything they had out so that the prophet and his assistant could have this great feast. Now, as they were eating, the the, the prophet looked at the family and he says, what do you do to live? How do you survive? And they said, well, we have a cow. I think I have a picture of it. That's a cow if you've never seen a cow before. They looked at it and they said, this is what we survive. What we do is we milk the cow as much as we can every day, every other day. And then we go into town and we sell the cream and the milk. And they said, okay. And so after dinner... They, they sat down and they said, hey, you know, we're ready to, for bed. And too much cheese and milk always makes you sleepy. I don't know if you guys know that. So I saw that on Dr. Phil. Um, so they said, hey, we're going to turn in. And, and the mom and the dad said, you know what? Why don't you sleep in our bed tonight? We'll sleep with our children on the floor over on this section. And the prophet said, no way. We'll never do that. That's too much. And they insisted. And after this little bit of tug of war, the prophet and his assistant slept in the bed that, that was for the mom and the dad. Now, as they woke up in the morning, the family was hurrying around and getting a pack of food ready for them. The leftover cheese and the bread and whatever was left over and the milk, they said, here, take this on your trip. This is a gift from our family. And basically, it's all that they had. And they said, we've milked the cow. We're going to go into the town and sell some of the uh, milk so that we can actually have some food for tonight. So they hurried off, and they're so, thank you so much for blessing us. It was truly an honor and a privilege that you showed up at our house. So as they left, the prophet and his assistant were so excited and said, man, what a blessing they were to us. And the prophet looked around and he says, I want to really do something to change their life. I want to really bless them so that they can really see who God is. So he's looking into the house and the house didn't have much. So he walked out to the side and lo and behold, he sees this cow. And he says, I got it. And he tells the young assistant, he says, take that cow And go over to the cliff and push the cow off the cliff. I think I have the picture in action right there. Take the cow and push it off the cliff. 
And the young assistant said, are you kidding me? He didn't really say that out loud. You know how sometimes we think we're saying stuff? And he's like, well, I would never question the prophet. But he's in his heart. He's like, this is despicable. This is horrible. Why would you do this to this family? So they push the cow off, and then he hurries along like he's escaping. Come on, let's get out of here before they come back. So that always stuck in his heart, like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be this great prophet, and you just push their cow off the cliff? So several years later, on the great prophet's deathbed, he's sitting there with his young now prophet who's taking over his mantle, over his, his job to be the prophet of the land. And they're holding hands, and he's blessing them like Jeff Barnett was blessing us. And he says, do you have any questions before I kind of give this blessing? And he says, not really. I'm so thankful for all that you did in my life. But I do have this one question. Do you remember the cow? You remember that humble shack that we stayed at? And they were so nice and so loving to us. And then at the end, you made me push their cow off the cliff like this. This is real life cow. No cows were harmed, by the way, on this video. So just want you to know. And he goes, yeah, I do. And he goes, why would you do that? How does that help this family out at all? And he says, here's what I want you to do. When you have a chance, go visit the family. And a couple hours later, the, the man died. And now the young prophet is the prophet of the land. And he says, well, the, the, the dying wish of, of the prophet was for me to go visit this family. I guess the first order of business is for me to walk back to this town and go see what had happened. So he walks back into town, into the city gate, and he comes to the plot of land where their, their shack was. But he looks, and there's this beautiful home, and there's vineyards and, 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 and farm animals and all kinds of stuff. The house was painted, and it was just looked brilliant. It looked really good, and he's like, oh, man, these people are probably moved. They sold the land, and they're gone, and I feel terrible. And so he knocks on the door, and this kid answers, and he's now a teenager. And he says, hey, where's the family that used to live here in that shack many years ago? And he goes, oh, that's us. We've been living here our whole life. And he's like, what happened? And then the parents hear that he's here, and they're like, prophet, thanks so much for coming in. Come in and have lunch with us. Let me tell you what has happened. He's like, how did all this happen? The last time I was here, you had a shack and you were living very humbly. And he said, well, we found out that you pushed our cow off the cliff several years ago. And for three days, we were so furious with you. We were so angry. We could not believe that's how you would treat us after we gave you such hospitality. We were furious and we were starving and we didn't know what to do. And one day, out of, out of nowhere, we started to pray to God and quit worshiping the cow. And this is what God provided us. When we push the cow off in our life and we start praying and focusing on God, he can get rid of the things that we're holding on to and give us a life that's abundant and full and free. Now, that story was the story told to us as Journey got started. We were at dinner one night in Mexico, and a, and a wise man came up and told us this story. And he said, Jeremy, Jeff, Jeff Foss, Liz, Madison, and everybody that was in the beginning of Journey, God has pushed off your cow. And now you need to trust in God. And because of that, we're here worshiping on Sunday in this amazing thing. 
Well, welcome. We're so grateful that you're here today. We're a church that loves to celebrate Jesus week in and week out. We love the power of God, and we want to preach the power of God. We want to use the power week in and week out. So today, if you're here and you want to have some freedom and some life transformation, I hope that you'll open up your heart to what I call the cow message. And that you will open up a place in your life that maybe God we can do some work where you can push off your cow and experience the freedom that he has for you. We are on a journey, no pun, but really a pun intended, towards Easter. And our job in Easter is to make our mission of loving the world one person at a time truly come alive. How do we do that? Pray for people. Pray that people will come to church. Invite people to go to a church. It doesn't have to be journey. We are not trying to build a kingdom within these walls. We're trying to build God's kingdom all over this earth. So go to a church that people are asking you. If you invite them, they're like, well, I don't want to go to that church. I want to go to another one. Go there. But bring people into the kingdom and find a way to serve during the holiday season. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever been to it, but our Passion Week stuff that we do is amazing. The drama that we put on Wednesday and Friday night will blow you away if you've never seen it. We've made some cool changes this year, and it's going to be really powerful. So hopefully you'll join us that week and serve and pray and invite people to church and watch the harvest of the kingdom of God come into full effect. Amen? We're going through this series called Crucified. On the cross, 2,000 plus years ago, Christ was crucified. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. This is from the Passion of Christ. It's hard to look at. I mean, think about your Savior and what he did. I don't deserve that. But this is what crucified is. He's on the cross to change the world forever. Last week, we talked about coming into church and crucifying our theology. We all think we know who God is and what God is, but Jesus came to the world and says, I want you to know that God is different than you've ever imagined. I'm not coming here to abolish the laws of Moses and all that. I'm coming here to tell you there's more to God than what you know. And we crucified our theology, and we talked about the apostle Paul speaking to us in Colossians to a church about deceptive and false influences. Next week, we're going to talk about crucified death, and on Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about crucified sin. Today, we're going to crucify our control. Today, we're going to ask God to open up our hearts, to open up, to open up our mind, and take whatever our cow is and push it off so that we can be free and whole and crucify the control that we think we have. Christ died... I don't know where you are in faith. I don't know what you believe, but Christ died so that you can live. And not just survive, not just to hang on by a, by a thread saying, I'm doing okay, I'm just barely hanging on. That's not what God is. God is not a hanger-oner. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to have a passionate, powerful life in Christ. doesn't mean Lamborghinis and jet skis and yachts, but maybe. But it means a life that you're excited about. I remember looking in the mirror several years ago when I was kind of in my, in my addiction. And I couldn't even look at myself in the face. And today I look in and I'm like, man, you're really old, bro. But, but I'm okay with the man that I'm looking at. I'm happy with who he's become. He needs to lose a little weight. He needs to do a lot of things. But I'm still okay with this guy. And that's not always how I've been. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this. He died for all so that those who live no longer live for themselves, 
but for him who died for them and was raised. We believe that Jesus Christ died so that you and I can have our sins washed free and that he rose so that we can live in that resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And we believe every Sunday if you come to church, you will experience the power of the resurrection of Christ in a, on a Sunday service every Sunday. Easter will be a little different because we'll put a few plants, but that's about it. Probably a few white tablecloths. But here's the thing. Christ died so that you and I may live and die to self, die to sin, die to our control, die to what we think our theology or our understanding of God is, and die to the fears of death and, and things of this world. So God is saying, will you open up your heart today for a brief moment in time so that we can push the cow off together and watch God build a life that you could never imagine? He wants to make your life amazing. To kind of the push the cow message today, I want to give you this phrase that I use. It's called let go and let God. Let go and let God. Now, this phrase happens to not be biblical, but it doesn't mean that it's not practical and useful for us to understand how do we let go of control and let God work in our life. Though it's not biblical, it is, it is a tool that we can use to really help us understand how I need to give up control of people, places, and things in my life so that God can work and, and, and build things in my life that only he can do, which is trust and forgiveness and grace and mercy and love that's abounding. That's stuff that I don't have. I have to use the power of God to have that in my life. Christian life is to be a spiritual battle. We are not to just let go and let God and sit back and do nothing. Well, I hope I get in and out burgers today. I'm just going to sit and pray that God's going to show it up on an Uber Eats and bring an in and out burger. You got to do a lot of stuff to get that Uber Eats. You got to get a phone and you got to pay for the phone. Then you got to have money to pay for that. There's all kinds of stuff. But the point of letting go and letting God is living your life and doing the work that God has. Christian life is a spiritual battle. Did you realize that? It's a spiritual battle. Here's what some of the Bible verses talk about as we're living this spiritual battle. 1 Timothy 6, 12 says, we are to fight this good fight of faith. We are to fight this good fight of faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, we are to endure hardships like a good soldier of Christ. And Tim, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, we are to put on the full armor of God so that we can thwart the devil's schemes. These are not terms of, oh, I should just let go and do nothing and let God take care of my life. That's, a, that's not what, what I'm saying here. What I'm saying here is that you need to still live your life. You still need to do. You still need to go to school or go to work tomorrow. Don't say, hey, the pastor told me I don't have to do anything. You need to still do and live, but when you get to a conflict and to an issue, you need to give it up to God. If you've got a relational place, if you're living in a, a place of unforgiveness, or if you've got some health issues, or if you've had a loss, or your marriage is struggling, if your life has fallen apart, mind, body, and soul, you're to give that up and continue to live your life and watch God work and move and bring restoration because that's who he is. God is a reconciler and he's a restorer and he's a redeemer. And that's what he's trying to do when we give up control. He wants to bring us back to that place. I've got to let go of everything that God has, uh, let go of everything that I'm trying to will and, and give it over to God's will. Quit forcing my way and my will and accepting God's control in the things of my life. So to kind of close this mindset up is, I don't know if you've ever tried to let go of something, but it's not easy. You know? 
We get up and we pray, dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you take my life and you use it. And, and I'm just going to give up all my anger and all my frustration and all my fears. And, and I'm not going to let that wreck my day. And by, you know, three minutes later, you've taken it all back. Letting go is hard. But it's a mindset that we need to do on a regular basis. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And that's the message that we have today. Proverbs 16, 3, a, a place of wisdom in the Bible. It's poetry and wisdom. It says, commit, your, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. You know, as a, as a young man, I thought, well, I was in control of my own destiny. The world tells me, take control of your destiny. You can become anything you want. And I believe that. And I still believe that, but I believe that God has a better plan for my destiny. When I'm in the way, I control my way, and I ended up in jail cells and, and locked up and, and strung out. But when I turn to God, I end up in a better place. Not just because I'm a pastor, but it's because I've got a great life. I've got a great wife and family and kids and, and friends and fellowship. I have a church to come to that builds me up. I have a lot more, and it has nothing to do with the financial blessings. God wants to establish our plans. Today, we go back to the garden right before Jesus was crucified. We go back into the garden right before he is uh, arrested, tried, and crucified. And here, he is with his disciples, and he's communicating at the very, the very last words that he'll ever have one-on-one -on -one with his disciple, except with John on the cross. This is the last time he really speaks and communicates before he's led to the cross on this place we see his last words to his disciples and his powerful actions somebody's last words and their last actions before they die most of the time we look at and say that's amazing with Christ we need to study and realize what he is trying to do here we're going to read from Luke and see what his, his actions and words are. So if you're able to stand, we're stand for the word of God at our church because the power of God is, is strong. And we're going to read from Luke and he's in the garden. Now, we're going to Israel in November. If you want to go to Israel, it's awesome. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. Now, in, in Jerusalem, it's up. Jerusalem's up and it ascends upward and then there's this thing called the Kidron Valley and on the other side of the valley is, is the Mount Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus would go to this garden quite frequently and he would go to pray and get refreshed and filled up and so here we're at the garden and Jesus is having this moment with his disciples and with God so let's read and see how it plays out Jesus went out as usual to the mountain of Olives the Mount Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours, your will be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and the sweat was like drops of blood falling to, his falling to the ground. And when he rose from, the, from prayer, he went back to the disciples and found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. 
Today, as we get ready for Easter and as we want kind of break down this section of Scripture, I just want you to pray. We are praying weekly for our teams. We are praying for people to be saved. So this is team salvation. If you're here, please pray throughout the week and all the way to Easter and beyond that people will be saved. This is team revelation. They're praying that God will start to reveal himself. A lot of people in this world are blind to God, and so we need this revelation to open up our hearts so we can see him for who he truly is. And this is team transformation after you've been saved. Yeah. There's coffee out there if you guys need it, but it's not transferring. We're praying right here that people will be transformed, that they will have a life of old, they will cling to Christ, and they will become this new creation, and God will do a great work. So let's just pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, we control so much. Lord, forgive us for all the things that we control. Lord, we get in the way of your will all the time. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we struggle with a bunch of things that we hold on to thinking that they're good for us. Lord, let us release them. Whatever we're holding on to, Lord, push it off the cliff for us so that we can experience that abundant, beautiful, powerful life in Christ. Father, I love you and I praise you and I ask that you will move in this gathering today. Holy Spirit, work deeply in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we're in the garden. We're in the garden and we're, we're, we're experiencing Christ for who he truly is. He's human here. He's the most human that you will see Christ. God sent his son. He's 100% God and 100% man, smashed together as one. He's this 200% superhuman above anything that's ever walked on this earth and anything that's ever been in the heavens. He is this superhuman God. And now he is showing his human sense, his human self. Here's what uh, Psalms 34 talks about as, as we talk about crying out to God and asking him to work in our lives. Psalm 34, 17 says, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. When you are in pain, when you are struggling, when you're at this crossroads in your life where you need to give something up to God, the Bible says that the Lord loves the righteous and wants to deliver them from the pain and the troubles and the trials that they have in their life. And here we see the Lord want to move and build us up in that, in that mindset here. He wants to free us and deliver us of our troubles. A lot of that trouble in my life is myself getting in the way and trying to control and manipulate. And that's what God is trying to speak to us today. We need to crucify our control so that we can have a better life for Christ. It's, hard to, it's easy to say, it's hard to do. In this story, there's images. Many people that have been in Christianity for years have heard this sermon or this reading a lot. So what I want to do, instead of reading and go through it and break it down verse by verse, I want to pull some images out. Image teaching is something that we focus on at Journey a lot because the image sticks in our head. You know, if, you, if you've got an iPhone or a, or a Samsung or if you've got a computer, you have files. And one says picture file. One says Microsoft Word file, one says Excel file, and you see it all organized. Or if you see mine, it's all over the place, kind of like my head. But it's all over the place. But you're supposed to organize files. When you teach with images, up here we had a couch with Jeremy and a boat, and we've had branches and all kinds of images. When you teach like that, you get to, you get to remember it. I don't remember what he really said, but it was that stupid message with the cow off the cliff. And I need to know that I need to let go and let God. 
That's how the image teaching works. We've used it well in junior high and high school, and we're trying to use it in the church because it will help you understand what God is trying to teach. Here's some of the images that we see in this story where Jesus is with his disciples. First of all, we see a garden. Here's an actual picture of the garden. This is the garden that's a stone throw away. When you go to garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, there's this Church of the Nations, and then there's a garden that's a private garden that is owned by a Palestinian family, and occasionally, if they're nice, they'll open the doors and let people in. The both times that we've been there, they've let us into this private garden, and it's literally across the street in a stone's throw away. This is one of the images that we're going to talk about. The second image is this, this cup. Lord, take this cup of suffering. This is a costly cup. We call it in theology a costly cup. In that cup is the weight of the world. That's the second image. The third image is we see a prayerful night where Jesus is. This is from uh, the passion. There's this moment where Jesus is in prayer. and He's in solitude, and this is how he fills himself up. A lot of times we think, well, I'm going to go to church, and, and I'm going to go to Bible study, and I'm going to get filled up. But this is how Jesus, he went away by himself, and he was in this prayerful moment to get filled up. And this is Jesus' place. This is his spot where he would communicate to the Father. And the last image that we would see is this glorious throne. Now, this happens, uh, I couldn't find the cool picture. They've got all these angel with crazy things going on. So this is actually in my room. Uh, this is how I read in the morning. <laughs> Kidding, seriously. I wish. If it was, then my wife would be sitting on it if it was in my room. But this is actually a, an image of what it would look like. Some of the writings in the Bible, they built one like this. And I couldn't find a cool picture, so I just found the one that they made. But here, that, this is the last image that we want to talk about. So why the garden? What's the purpose of the garden? You know, God did a lot of work in the garden. If you remember, when, when time began, there was a garden. And in the garden, man bit the apple. I don't know why women never get blamed for that. I live with a bunch of women, so I wish they would take a little bit of the blame there. But man bit the fruit, not the apple. Sorry, sorry Jeremy. He bit the fruit, probably a fig. Have you ever remembered Jeremy's fig? It's really succulent fig. Man bit the fruit, and in that garden there was betrayal. Man separated himself from God because of sin, and now man had sin. At the end of the Bible, if you look to Revelation 22, it says that Eden will be restored, the garden will be restored. And in the middle of that is the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus goes before God and, and, and says, Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. The garden is important. It's a great image. And Jesus uses it for us to have an understanding of what he is trying to do in life. If you go back to John chapter 15, that John chapter 15 says that I am the vine and you are the branches. It's that place or that section in the Bible. That is another garden reference because the garden is important. In John 15, 5, it says that we as Christians, we that believe in Jesus can do nothing apart from God. Everything we do apart from God is on our own will and our own mindset. But we, if we're really in the will of God and trying to do the work of God, can do nothing for God. We don't take credit. If somebody receives the Lord today, it's not because I said the prayer in front of a bunch of people. It's the will of God and God's plan. We can do nothing apart from God. We are powerless and God is all-powerful. All he is to be the outpouring of our life. And that's what we see in this garden mindset. We can't do anything and assume that, that it's, we get the credit for it. Now, here's the beautiful image about the vine and the branches. The Bible says Jesus is the vine and what? We are the 
branches. Good theology. Somebody knew the story. We are the branches. Now, here's what it says. If you've ever done any landscaping or any planting, the vine is where all the nutrients come from. It's where all the water and the nutrients flow from. Everything comes from the vine, and it goes into the branches. Do you know what the branches do? They just hang there and let the fruit grow. They don't do anything. The vine is where all the nutrients come. A branch just sits there and goes, man, I hope fruit comes. Otherwise, there's really nothing for me to do. Jesus knows that the garden is important and we need to be part of that garden where we're just the branches hanging out waiting for godly fruit to come. When we try and do it on ourselves, it's not godly fruit. It's man-made fruit and it's not really God's will and God's plan. And ultimately, it has zero or limited eternal value. God wants to build in us this life and he wants to have us understand the garden. In the garden, Jesus shows his human side like we've never seen it. His disciples are looking at him. The big three, Peter, James, and John, are sitting there, and they're looking at Jesus going, what is wrong with our Savior? What is wrong with Jesus? He's acting like something bad is going to happen. We've never seen him like this. Jesus is in agony, and he's throwing himself to the ground, and he's sweating, and he's bleeding, and things are coming to an end, and they don't really realize it yet. The garden is a great image for us, and it's a great tool for us to understand and realize. The second image that I want you to look at is this costly cup. If you look at it, I know there's a really cool picture of the cross inside that that cup. It's a really good illustration of what we're trying to do. In this costly cup, Jesus accepts his role. Lord, if you want to take this cup from me, that would be good. But if not... I'll do my part. Jesus accepts his role. When we're trying to lose, give up control to God, we need to live in acceptance. We need to accept God for who he truly is, which is God of the universe. We need to understand that Jesus is alive and he can do mighty and powerful things in our life. And if we let the Holy Spirit work, he will build in us a life that we could never imagine. One that we could never, uh, uh, one that we could never formulate or try and emulate apart from God. This costly cup is where Jesus surrenders to death. He says, I must die to do the will of God. I come before God and I need to give up control. He's pushing the cow off the cliff and I happen to be the bearer of that. And that's the reason that I'm here. That's the reason that I was made and built. I am the the outpouring of God's love and I am the sacrifice that makes the world right. We need to accept God's plan. Isaiah 41.10 says this, don't be afraid for I am with you. When we come to a place when we're struggling, the Bible tells us, the, the prophet Isaiah says, don't be afraid, I am with you, the Lord says. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will hold you up with your vict- my victorious right hand. God is with you. At the moment where Jesus is getting ready to take this cup and he's falling, he's crying, and he's struggling as a human being, God sends an angel to strengthen us. And I'm like, Lord, I want an angel. Lord, I want an angel to come when I'm struggling. And you know what happens? I never get the heavenly one with a, ah, coming down and communicating. But you know what happens with me? It's maybe through my wife or my kids. It's maybe through a friend or a pastor. It's maybe through a fellowship out at the yard where all of a sudden the angel comes and it says, you're doing well, son. I'm here. A lot of times the angel comes in human form for us. Because they're filled with the Spirit and they're connected and they're strengthening us. 
They strengthen us. God wants to strengthen us, and, and he wants us to let go and trust that he has a plan and that he can do wonderful things in your life and in my life. I truly believe that, and I want you to see that. Now, here's the thing about the garden. This is kind of my resentful place in the garden. There's eight disciples that aren't there, and there are three with him. John, Peter, and, and James are with him. And the other eight are probably the group that I'd be in because they're like, oh, this guy's not that cool. He's in the eight. I mean, I'm resentful. I want to be with the three. Don't they know how important I am and how cool I am? But here's the thing. John and James and Peter have been with Jesus and have truly seen the power of God. They've truly seen the power of God. They've seen Jesus raise Jarius' daughter from death. They saw that resurrection happen. They were at the Mount Transfiguration when they saw Elijah and Moses and Jesus communicating about the cross and what Jesus was going to do on the cross. And now they're in the garden as Jesus is moving towards his death. They're there watching Jesus totally live out his human life and struggle with the Father in the mindset. He says this, Father... If you're willing, take this costly cup from me. Lord, if you are willing, take this costly cup. But then he comes to a conclusion, not my will, Lord. If it was up to me, human Jesus, I would have you take this cup, but your will be done. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times we think, man, Jesus is so cool because he just knows he's going to get beaten and he's going to get spit at and he's going to get flogged and all this stuff that's going to happen. And ultimately, he's going to die. And, and, and that's what he's agonizing about. You know what he's really agonizing about? At a moment in time, when the sin of the world comes upon him, he's going to be separated for God because God can't be around sin. And for him to even contemplate a second or a minute or an hour away from God is so great. He's, Lord, I've never had that in my life, Lord. I don't know if I can be a second away from you in time. Do you believe like that? Do you have that passion to say, Lord, I don't want to be one second away from you. I don't want to take the cup because I will be apart from you. This costly cup was big. And Jesus says, I don't want to be alone from you, Lord. I've never been and I don't want it. But if that's the plan, I'm going to live it out. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to push over the cow in my life and watch you take over. And because of that, my life is going to be the life that every knee will bow. Jesus' name will rise up and stand above everything all the time, heaven and in earth, because of what he did. And it's all because we put aside our control and our mind and our, 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 our philosophy and say, Lord, I can't do this. i got to... Trust you and your will and your plan. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Jesus is, in a, prayer, Jesus is a prayerful person. And I, I'll confess my weakness. I don't pray enough. I pray a lot, but there's a lot of time that I could be praying more. And I, I, I'm, I'm begging on a regular basis, Lord, teach me how to pray uh, e even deeper and longer for people. When I, I just want that. But Jesus understood it because here's what I know. When Jesus is praying and he's separated from everybody else and he's in his prayer closet and his war room, whatever he's at, he's getting refreshed. And I don't know about you, but sometimes life is hard and I need to be refreshed. It says that Jesus was in this moment in the garden and his prayer was different though. 
He was in so much anguish that he was on the ground. And it said that he was sweating. And his sweat was blood coming out because of the anguish. And if you read the, the, the case for Christ out there, we have a couple of books. You can see the whole medical theory of this, that it's real, it's true. But the purpose of this prayer and this sweat was to answer from the sin of Adam back in the garden. When Adam sinned, it says, Adam, because you have sinned, you're going to have to work laborlessly or laboriously, and you're going to have to use the sweat of your brow. There's going to be, have to be this labor, and it's going to be sweat. And that sin is part of our life. And when Jesus bleeds into the ground, that sweat, it's kind of answering the sin from Adam. And that curse is, be, is, is beginning to end because of the blood of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 26, it's another version of, of this prayer, and it says this. Then Jesus returned. After he's been praying a stone's throw away, he comes back, and he says, He returned and found the disciples sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And here's one of Jesus' last words to his disciples. The spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. When we try and control things and we try and do things on our own and we hold on to our sacred cow, we are in this weakly place. We are weak. We're trying to do it on our own. Jesus is saying, when you allow the Spirit to come in, the Spirit is willing to take you to places you've never been before. But our flesh is weak. God wants to move in, your, in, in the Spirit of you, in you, so that you can be strong in Christ. The purpose of this message is letting go of control and living a life and a destiny for God because we have access to the throne of Jesus, the throne of God. One day, every knee will bow and one day all that will believe will be up at the right hand of God and we will be watching the elders and people singing Hosanna in the highest and praising and celebrating who Jesus is. There's this beautiful throne image and all of us have access if you put Jesus in your heart and you allow him to take over your life and push off the cows and let go and let God work in your life so that there's room for you and I to, to experience God for who he truly is. So if you're here today and you're like, okay, all sounds okay or great or whatever, what can be some application? Well, here's the application of the cow message. I want you to put the cow message in your head and here's the, th the things we need to do first thing you need to do if you don't know God you need to believe you, ne be you need to believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior and if you are a Christian like many of us are you need to reaffirm that faith in what Christ did he, crucified, he was crucified so that you can live the second thing you need to do is you need to push or let go and let God you need to push off whatever sacred cow you're holding on to and let go and let God the third thing you need to do is pray. Pray that you will always be refreshed in that relationship and that communication with Christ. And finally, the outpouring of belief or faith is living a trusting life. Today I walk in the trust that God is for me and not against me. Today I walk that God is, is, is always doing good even when I don't see the good in my life. Today I believe that the trust of God is the most important thing. And even when I don't feel connected and I feel disconnected, I still trust that he is going to do great things. Because he's pushed my cow several times off in my life. And, and I just continue to believe that he wants that for all of us today.
You know that God sees greatness in this room? Do you know that God sees greatness? He looks at every one of your hearts, even if you're not connected, and He sees greatness. He sees His love in you and asks you, Will you be great for me? God sees amazing greatness. He sees you for who you truly are. And he wants more of your heart so that you can be right and live for the kingdom of God. I want to close with our memory verse. This verse is what we're marching to. On Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about this verse. And here's our memory verse for this series. It says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me, but it's Christ in me that lives. And I'm going to give that control. I'm going to give my theology. And I'm going to believe it's all been crucified. And in Christ, I have this new life and victory. I want to close today and this is probably the most important place for someone today every Sunday we come to a place where God is either everything or he's nothing and you have to make that choice we make a confession that Jesus you are my savior or Jesus you are not and as Christians we want everybody to believe so intercede right now so that if there's someone in this room that doesn't have a relationship I pray that God will bring them across this line and that the angels and the heavens will be celebrating. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we offer this time to you. And as we are here pushing off our, our, our cows to you, Lord, and we're asking for you to work and let go of control, Lord, if there's someone here that needs Jesus as their Lord and Savior, this is the most important time of someone's life. Father, if there's someone here that feels God tugging on their heart and they're separated or distant from God, they can say a prayer of salvation and become a child of God and have the Spirit start guiding them in their life. If that's you today, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior forever. You died and you rose again so that I may have eternal life. Holy Spirit, come upon me and guide me in your ways. Now and forever. Amen.